0: at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the
1: episode. I want to speak to you tonight on this subject, the heart the heart of a missionary. The heart of a missionary. And let's uh, pray, and then we'll read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3, and then we'll get right into the message this evening. Lord Jesus, once again, we want to approach the Word of God with honor and reverence, and we want to approach it with a hungry heart. Uh, we want our heart to be touched and stirred and moved. We want our life to be changed. And Lord, I pray that what we read tonight will find direct application to our hearts, that you may use these truths to draw us closer to you and make us more useful in the mission of God. I pray for your help tonight and your spirit's fullness for both preacher and listener. In Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 3 verse 1, if you'll follow along as I read, please. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, "'Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk.' And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping stood up, or he leaping stood, I'm sorry, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple.' walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. This morning I shared this thought with you two different times, both in Sunday school and the morning service, and I'd like for you to look at it with me again tonight. God is on a mission, singular, to reveal his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. That's the work God has been doing since the beginning of time, and that's what He'll be doing till the end of time, gathering a people to Himself. When we think about that mission, and this morning in Sunday School we looked at the five different examples of the commission, or five commissions that were given to us that make up what we call the Great Commission, and this morning we looked at the 7,400-plus unreached people groups, people groups that still have no access to the gospel, We think about that great need, 3,700 language groups that still don't have one verse of Scripture, and we begin to ask ourselves these questions, how could I personally make a difference in reaching these people? How could I make a difference with all those unreached groups and all those unreached languages? We see the enormity of this task. It's a little overwhelming. We feel the weight of Jesus' commission. How do we respond to that? What What is our perspective on that assignment? How do we see ourselves in relation to how God wants to use us and our obedience to that commission? How do we see the people we're commanded to reach? And how do we see the message we're commanded to carry? I believe this story in Acts illustrates some powerful characteristics that we find in the lives of Peter and John that we need to emulate, and these characteristics need to be a part of our life. And I have three simple points tonight very basic information, but if these three points, these three characteristics are part of my life, they define and help me carry out my role in the mission of God. What difference can I make? How could I possibly uh, put a dent in the huge number of people that still need the gospel? How, how could I possibly make a difference in that? These three characteristics will, will propel me forward in making a difference in reaching the rest of the world. Now I want to clarify something before I give you the point. these main points. When I say tonight the heart of a missionary, I'm not just talking about people who live in a foreign country. I'm talking about every believer who is on mission with God. Now I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and say we're all missionaries because in that, in that sense we understand a person who leaves home and goes to a foreign place. But we are all on mission with God, are we not? A Christian who's not on mission with God is not fulfilling his responsibility and role in this world. He's not fulfilling the life that God wants him to have or her. So there are three characteristics here in in the lives of Peter and John and this story that I believe we need to hear tonight. Let's ask ourselves, before I get to point one again, let's ask ourselves this. Why is this story here? We're, We're shifting from a scene we refer to as Pentecost where 3,000 people get saved. And now we are at a temple gate where there's one person that is in need. Why, why, does, the, why does it shift so, such a seismic shift right here in the story of Scripture? Why does it change like this, and why is the story here? I have three thoughts for you. Number one, here's what we see in Peter and John. We see compassion for people. Now, would you stay with me when I say that? I want you to think about this. I, I've heard a lot of messages in my lifetime. I was born into a pastor's home, and I've been in church all of my life, and I've heard a lot of messages on having compassion for people. I've heard a lot of messages on, you need a burden for souls. I've heard a lot of messages on John four thirty-five. lift up your eyes and look on the fields so for they're white already to harvest. I've heard a lot of preaching that seems to say to me, you don't care enough. You don't have a heart for God enough. How many of you have been there? Just nod your head. You know what I'm talking about, right? And you hear messages like that and you leave, you leave with a, a, a guilty, self, uh, self-criticizing uh, mindset like, I know I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't do not, uh, what I should. I'm not, as, I'm not the Christian I should be. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to put you on a guilt trip tonight. Okay? So can you breathe? And let me talk about this idea of compassion for people. And when I get to the end of point one, I'm going to give you the secret to having compassion for people, all right? The contrast between the end of Acts chapter 2 and the beginning of Acts chapter 3, where 3,000 people were saved, and I'm pretty sure you could call that a great day for church growth, right? The next scene that Luke gives us in Acts 3 is not another big crowd that needs Jesus, but it's one person who needs Jesus. Pentecost was a one time event. And although we would love it, we would love it if we could win people to Christ 3,000 at a time. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, if we could set up a tent somewhere and, and, and win 3,000 people to Christ today, and 3,000 tomorrow, and 3,000 on Tuesday, and 3,000 on Wednesday, and then Brother Bunner could get a tent. He could go to a different country and start that. Pastor Kagan could get a tent and go to a different country. It wouldn't take long before we could just cover this whole world with the gospel. It would just be a few years, right? But that's, that's not going to happen. The, the, looking back through history, you will find that, that it is very, uh, very rare and very far between when you have scenes of mass evangelistic success. Pentecost was one. Perhaps in the history of, uh, of the world, you could point to the Welsh Revival where there was great numbers of people coming to Christ, and not long after that, you could point to the, the um, or maybe before that, actually, you could point to the Great Awakening here in America, and, and a lot of people came to Christ during those times, but you'd be hard-pressed, you'd be hard, hard-pressed to come up with five different times in history when there was a mass turning of people to Jesus. So here's what this seismic shift from Pentecost to the Temple Gate teaches us. The world can be reached, One person at a time. One person at a time. Do you know who set the example for us of ministering to individuals? It was Jesus Himself. Do you remember John chapter 6 is one of my favorite Bible stories where Jesus healed, or not healed, but Jesus fed the multitude with five loaves and two small fishes. And and I I was hearing, I was listening to a message on that just in the last couple days. And the man said, you know, you need to understand what these loaves were. He said they were, it, was, it was barley pressed together, so it was more like a granola bar. <laughs> this was his interpretation of it. And he said the fish were not fish. They were sardines. So Jesus fed 5,000 people plus women and children with five granola bars and two sardines. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? But I love that story. And, and a huge multitude there that came to Jesus. He fed them. They went home, the disciples slept that night, and in John 6, the next day, all the people came back to Jesus again. If Jesus were the typical mega church pastor, he would have said, we've got a good thing going here. Look at this huge crowd. I am so glad you're all back with us today. I'm so glad that you have just come as you are, and I want you to worship with us today as we celebrate being together in, in, in this wonderful new movement for God, Jesus didn't say that. You know what he said in John 6, and I'll paraphrase it right here. He said, basically, You're not here for me, you're here because I fed you yesterday, right? And, he, and they kept talking, and the longer Jesus talked, I think, the more confused the disciples became, and the more people walked away. And by the time Jesus finished this conversation, There were only the disciples left. And then he looked at the disciples and said, Will you also go away? You know what I learned from that? I learned that that story and others illustrate for us that Jesus was never enamored by the mass crowds of casual observers. But Jesus always focused in on the small group of potentially committed disciples. He was never interested in building a megachurch. Jesus wanted to fully transform the lives, particularly of 12 men, so that they could take that message and that method and they could transform the world with the gospel of Christ. Jesus recognized himself that reaching the world is not done in mass evangelistic moments, but it's done when Christians behave like Christians who are on mission with God, reaching one person at a time, who will learn to reach one person at a time, who will learn to reach one person at a time, and pretty soon every creature on earth has heard the gospel. Are you with me tonight? I think the disciples were stunned when when, uh, the blind man on the side of the road yelled out, cried out to Jesus as he walked along with a multitude once again. And the blind man said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you read the story. It's in, I think it's in John chapter 9. You read the story, and and I'm going to paraphrase here again, but here's what I picture happening. One of the disciples walked over, it's probably Simon Peter, walked over to this blind man yelling for Jesus, and he said, Shh, stop. Be quiet. We're trying to help people over here. Do you understand? Do you see the irony in that? Here's a blind man asking for help. And you be quiet because we got people over here. Peter was enamored with the big crowd, or whoever that was. I don't remember who it was in the, in the text. But Jesus stopped and, he, and, and abandoned the attention of the crowd and said, Who is that? Bring him over here to me. How about this one? Uh, G, uh, the disciples were amazed when Jesus stopped his journey on the way to heal. The, uh, the, uh, this, the centurion's uh, servant that was sick no, or, or Jairus' daughter that was sick and Jesus stopped his journey and said who touched me? and found out that a woman with an issue of blood had touched him and he stopped and he gave, one, he gave individual attention to that woman another time Jesus was walking along with a group of people beho- following behind him and he stopped and looked up in a tree and he saw a man named Zacchaeus and he said today I must abide at thy house And he gave attention to an individual. I don't think the disciples understood what Jesus meant when he told the story of the shepherd who left the ninety and nine in the fold and went out after the one who had strayed. I think the disciples were startled when Jesus walked through the cemetery at Gadara to deliver one one demon-possessed man. The disciples rebuked those who brought the children to Jesus and that displeased the Lord. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Think about this, in Jesus own suffering on the cross of Calvary, he took the time to hear the prayer of one thief who said, remember me, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Bible teaches us that there's rejoicing in heaven when one person repents. Jesus is the one who set the example of reaching one person at a time, changing one life at a time. And so the great mass are the great lesson for us is the masses can be reached one soul at a time. So we get, here's what we do. We get this idea, I'm not being very effective because only won one person to the Lord in the last month, two months, six months, year. I don't know. Uh, But that's one person. And now you need to ask God, where's the next one that I can win? And the next one that I can win? Preachers are discouraged because their churches aren't growing by dozens and, and, and hundreds Uh, Just reaching one at a time makes a humongous difference. I want you to notice in verse 4 of our text here a couple of thoughts. Notice with me in verse 4 it says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John. I want you to notice two thoughts in verse 4. Number one, Peter looked at the lame man. He looked. You know what our problem is sometimes? We don't look. See, Peter just came from Pentecost where he preached a simple gospel message and 3,000 people got saved and I'm pretty sure it would have been easy for Peter to develop a celebrity evangelist mentality. Walking by that man who had a cup out, shaking it for just a few shekels, wanting something to eat, he could have said, I don't have time for him. I'm a big time speaker now. Big crowds come to hear me preach, right? Maybe he could have said to John who was walking there with him, he could have said, Just give him one of our prayer hankies and let's be on our way. Right? Peter could have thought that man is not important enough for me to take my time to talk to him. Listen to this very carefully. Peter and John could have walked right on by that man because hundreds of worshipers did just that every single day. And that's what the man expected. But they didn't walk by. They stopped and looked. We hear about things that are going on in our world right now. Sad time for America, isn't it? Sad time for the world. And it's very easy for us to just get, what's the word um, I'm thinking of here, insulated from, from any type of emotional uh, concern for what's going on in the world, uh, what's going on in Afghanistan right now with, with Christians potentially dying for their faith. Because the Taliban has taken over, it's easier for us to just say, oh, that's very sad. Can you get me something to drink, honey? Just dismiss all that, right? Peter and John could have done the same on this day. But they stopped and looked. And I want to suggest that that's a rebuke to all of us because we all need to take the time to stop and look. And the principle here is very very clear. Those who claim to be the most passionate about reaching the multitudes... Should be the most conscious about reaching the individual. It's not right for us to claim that we care about 7,400 unreached people groups and ignore the people God puts right in front of us. It's rather hypocritical, to be honest with you. They stopped and looked. The word look here means to consider. We were sitting at a restaurant about four years ago now. At um, downtown Indianapolis, Pastor Bunner, just about a half a block off the circle. Have you ever been to Dick's Bodacious Barbecue? You need to go. You seriously need to go. Great, great barbecue place. We were sitting there on the, on the outdoor the sidewalk because they had some tables set up. It was in the summertime. And I took my family out that day. I wanted to spend a little time with them because I was going to, the next day, get on a plane to go to western China the city of Urumqi, in the province of Xinjiang, all the way west, not very far from the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan and Tajikistan. And we're going to go with one of our associates named Tim Clegghorn, and Bob McQueer is going to go with us. And we're going to survey that area because Tim needs to move there so we can reach one of those language groups called the Sadakoli Tajik people. And they live in that region. They're in the far western barrenness, absolute barrenness of western China. And we're sitting at Dick's Bodacious Barbecue. We're enjoying a wonderful, delightful meal of beef brisket and baked beans and potato salad and all the good stuff that goes along with that or coleslaw, whatever. And this man, begin, this man walks down the sidewalk, obviously a homeless man, and he walks down to the corner, uh, which maybe is right over as far away from us as the piano bench right there. And he looks over in a trash can and starts digging through the trash. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart right there in that moment. And I got up out of my seat, and I walked over to that man. I said, sir, are you hungry? And he said, I sure am. I said, would you come over here, and I'll buy you something to eat. Came over and sat down at our table. The waitress came out. We ordered him a meal. We sat there talking to him. And, And it was obvious he had some mental problems at this point, but he claimed that when he was younger, he had gotten saved. He, had, he was in a church and trusted Christ as his Savior. But my wife later asked me, she said, there's, there's homeless people all over downtown Indianapolis. Why did you go over and get that guy? And I said, I don't really have a good answer for that, except the Holy Spirit said to me, tomorrow you're getting on a plane to go to western China to research a people group you don't know. You've never met. You know very little about except what their people group name is and the region of the world they live in, and you act like you want to go reach those people way over yonder with the gospel, and there's people walking by you right now. Now, I still struggle with that because every day we walk by people, don't we? And every day we're busy, we have things to do, places to go and people to see. But you know what we need to do? We need to make sure, as we talked about this morning in, in, in the story of Acts 10 and Cornelius, we need to make sure that we're listening to the leadership and following the leadership of the spirit of god when he's directing our path across the path of someone who needs jesus we must stop and look notice what else it says in verse 4 here look at the verse with me it says and peter fastening his eyes upon him with john said look on us look on us do you know what that you know what that is the word look right there is the same word you find in Acts chapter 8, where, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is being stoned. And it says that he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I, I'm pretty sure Stephen didn't give that a passing glance. I'm pretty sure he fastened his eyes on Jesus, right? And so what Peter and John said to this man was hey, don't just look at us as we walk by, but look, look right here. Give me your attention. What was Peter saying when he said to this man, look on us? Number one, he was saying, we want to help. We want to help. You know what sympathy is? Sympathy is, I see your pain. Empathy is, I feel your pain. And compassion is, I want to help you in your pain. So Peter could have shown sympathy to this man, and I think maybe the sympathy is in the fact that he stopped and looked at the man, Empathy took place in Peter's heart when he said, I feel this man's pain. He's a crippled man here at the gate. He's been here for many years, and nobody's ever helped him uh, with his uh, his current situation. And when he said to this man, look on us, you know what the next verse says, right? It says that the man looked at Peter and John expecting to receive something from them. And I'm pretty sure that when Peter said, look on us, he lifted his cup a little higher because he expected the same thing that he was gonna get or hope to get from everyone else who was passing by. But what Peter was saying here is, I want to help you. I desire to do something about your condition. So the question is, do we see those who are without Christ as lost? Do we give a passing glance to people and judge them based on their appearance that doesn't agree with our code of conduct or our, our standard of dress? It's easy to denounce people as having a wrong sense of values and not worthy of our time or our concern. But what we need to see them as is lost people on their way to hell. And I fear sometimes that we are very far from having the heart that God has for people. Next, I want you to see this. It was, wasn't only a, an expression of we want to help, but it was an expression of this, we can help. We can. Peter said in verse 6, silver and gold have I none. I'm pretty sure the guy lifted his cup a little higher and Peter said, uh, no, it's not money I have for you. It's not silver and gold, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That, guy, that man got far more than he thought he would ever get that day, didn't he? Do you know that if you, it, it, the only qualification you need for sharing Jesus with somebody is knowing Jesus? Well, I'm not a good. I'm not good at talking to people. I'm not. I'm not good at witnessing to people. I don't know how to share the gospel plan. I don't know. I don't know how to give that polished uh, four-point presentation to help people come to Christ. You don't need a polished presentation. You just need a heart that knows and loves Jesus and has the same heart he has for the people that God puts in front of you. And all you need to do is tell them what happened to you. And you can make a difference. Are you with me tonight? Amen? I was in Kathmandu. I've been there three or four times now where we have one of our translation projects. And I, I've, I walked into this region called uh, Bodanath. And at Bodanath, they have what's called a stupa. And it's a Buddhist idol. It's about 100 or 150 feet tall. It's the second largest Buddhist idol in the world. And every morning about 5.30, the people start gathering to circle that, that idol. It's, it's about a city block if you walk all the way around it. And, and in, the, in the wall, uh, on the outside of that idol, there are prayer wheels. So these people are walking by, spinning the prayer wheels. They're stopping at these little altars where fires are, little fires are burning, and they're throwing incense on the fires, and, and they're prostrating themselves. I watched a man... Uh, prostrate himself and stand up and take about three steps and prostrate all the way out on the ground again and stand up and take about three steps and do it again and he made his way all the way around that, that idol and I remember walking to that area for the first time and the spiritual oppression was so thick you could feel it in the air you know you're walking in to the kingdom and the dominion of Satan and I remember the overwhelming feeling that I had of what in the world could be done to help these people And you know what the Spirit of God said to me? You can help these people because you know Jesus. And you know the life-changing gospel. And every one of us who know that story and that gospel can make a difference in the life of one person at a time who needs to come to Jesus. I was in a convenience store in Bloomington, Indiana, not long ago. And there was nobody in the store but me and the man behind the counter, young man. And he was just chatting away with me there for three or four minutes just howdy in about the day and what was going on. And I walked out the door, and the Spirit of God said to me, you need to take that man one of your books. I keep a stack of books in my car that are written by Kerry Schmidt called Done. And so I, walked out, I got the book, and I walked back in the store, and I said to the young man, I'd like to give you this book to read. I said, this book talks about the two ways people try to get to heaven— I said, the first way people try to get to heaven is by doing everything they can to earn their way. And that doesn't work. It never works. The second way people get to heaven is by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. And that's what this book is about right here. It's called Done. And he took the book out of my hand, and he looked up at me, and he said, are you kidding? And I said, no, what what do you mean? And he said, "Uh, my girlfriend has been talking to me about this for about seven or eight months, and she's starting to get through to me. He kind of said... Uh, Maybe I should read this book. And I said, maybe you should. I don't know what happened after he read the book. I hope you read the book and I hope he got saved. But listen, it's right, it's right, it's right for us to talk about the unreached world. It's right for us to be burdened about the 7,000 plus unreached people groups and three and a half billion people who've never heard his name. But it's wrong for us to talk about them over there and ignore the people God puts right in front of us. Pastor said this at the end of the service this morning about God putting people in front of us, not knowing what I was preaching tonight. Now, I told you at the end of point one, and don't worry, points two and three are much shorter than, than point one. But I told you I wasn't going to guilt trip you into having a burden for souls. <clears throat> I want to be very transparent here with you, and I want to see your heads nodding that you identify and agree with what I'm about to say, okay? Some days I really care about this lost world. And some days I don't. Are you with me? Some days I have other things on my mind and I'm just busy or distracted. Let me put it on the bottom shelf so you understand where I'm coming from. My favorite T-shirt, somebody gave me at Christmas time last December. My favorite T-shirt says, I like coffee and maybe three people, right? I had it on yesterday. And it's closer to the truth than I really would like to admit. Uh, I I put that T-shirt on the first time, and my wife said, oh, that's a funny shirt. Am I one of them? (laughs) Um, Another saying that I like about coffee is this one. It says, "Uh, before coffee in the morning, I don't like people. After coffee, I feel good about not liking people, right? (laughs) Right? I'm just trying to be honest with you, that's, that's where I am sometimes. But you know what I learned? I learned this is the secret. You had the TV on at some point this week and you saw a commercial that said, here is the secret to weight loss. Did you believe what they were saying? No, because there's no secret, right? It takes exercise and, and the proper diet and all kinds of things to maintain a healthy lifestyle. There is no secret. But what I'm about to tell you, I mean this with all my heart, what I'm about to tell you is the secret to having compassion for people. Are you ready for it? You need to write it down in your heart. You don't learn compassion for people by spending time with people. You learn compassion for people by spending time with God. That's the secret. When you say to yourself, you know, I need to have a better burden for, more of a burden for souls, I need to care about people more, quit quit guilt tripping yourself into doing better in, in in the strength of your own heart. Go get in the Bible and get on your knees and spend some time with God and ask Him to put His heart in your heart. And when you spend time with God and the closer you get to Him, you will find that His compassion begins to fill your heart and you will find that you begin seeing people with different eyes. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the passage I referred to this morning where he's talking about we are ambassadors for Christ, one of the points in that message that I preach is Paul said this, For though we see men, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting exactly, we see men after the flesh, yet no more. What Paul meant was I used to see people a certain way, and now that I've met Christ, I don't see people that way anymore. I see them through the eyes of Jesus. And I, and I have compassion for them because the God that I love has compassion for them. You can't spend time with God and not care about people. Honestly, what I was talking about a few minutes ago with my T-shirt and my little coffee sayings, you can't hate people and love Jesus because Jesus loves people. And if you spend enough time with Him, He'll rub off on you. And when we, when we closed the message this morning, we talked about praying every day for God to send labors to the unreached fields of the world. You know why God told us to do that? He told us to do that because every time we utter those words from a sincere heart, Lord, please send more labors to the unreached fields. You know what God does? He reaches in that, in that heart of ours and He begins filling it with His passion for the unreached fields of this world. And you can get to the place where you pray that with such sincerity that your heart can break because of people having never heard the name of Jesus that you never cared about before, but you've been praying for them every day, and now there's just something different about it when you pray it. It it takes on a new meaning because God reaches in and begins to take out of your heart the carnal desires and the temporal passions and pursuits and begins putting His heart into your heart. And the more you spend time with God, the more you care about people. My own pastor, Pastor Monty, If you've been around him very much, Pastor Bunner, you probably know this. One of his favorite phrases is, he wears me out. Right? You spend a lot of time with people and people can wear you out. So you don't learn compassion for people by being with people. You learn compassion for people by being with God. That is a deep spiritual truth that I hope we can get just a little bit of the significance of tonight. So what should we be doing? Should we be trying to work up more compassion? No, we ought to be spending time with God. We ought to be pursuing God and seeking His heart. That will change our heart. Very quickly, I want to give you points two and three. Number one, we need compassion for people. Number two, we need confidence in the name of Jesus. If you'll notice in this story, you'll find that Peter's not the hero, John's not the hero, Jesus is the hero. Amen right there? In chapter 3, verse 6, Peter said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse 16, would you look at these with me very quickly? Verse 16, after they ask him about this, he says, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong. Jump over to chapter 4, verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you all. Verse 12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In verse 17, they threatened the disciples not to speak any more in this name. Verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You know what Peter and John could have done right here? Peter could have said, hey, John, this is really causing a ruckus. I think we need to lay low for a while. Why don't we just kind of back off, not be so loud and vocal, not do such drastic things for a while, and maybe this will blow over when it all settles down a little bit. We can get back to the business at hand. Let's back off for a while. It's getting hot in the kitchen. But you know what they said? Look at chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. You know what they had? You know why they couldn't shut up? You know why Peter said it's better to obey God than it is to obey men, to, to, uh, to follow men? You know why Peter said... Uh, at the end of chapter 5, you know why it says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name? You know why they, they felt that way? Because they had confidence in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Our success in reaching this world for Christ is only limited by our willingness to proclaim the name of Jesus. It's not a slick gospel presentation we need to learn. It's talking about Jesus we need to practice talking about Jesus because 2,000 years ago, the name that raised this crippled man up off the ground, the name that unstopped deaf ears and opened blind eyes and the name that, that uh, healed crippled legs and the name that raised people off of their deathbed and the name that caused 2,000 demons to come out of a man and go into a herd of swine and run off a steep place into the sea, the same power in that name is powerful today. And all we have to do is talk about Him. This morning I said we make missions so complicated. But listen, let me tell you how simple it is. And I got this from a missionary who serves in Albania. He said, here's what missions is. It's talking about Jesus and winning people to Christ and bringing them into a body of saved, baptized believers and teaching them and discipling them so that they can go talk about Jesus and win people and baptize them and disciple them so that they can go talk about Jesus and win people and disciple them. Do you see the difference? Do you see how that works? I love your theme for for these mission weeks, adding to the church and then multiplying because discipleship is a multiplying effect. The church is not a corporate organization to be run on slick business strategies, but we're on a mission with God in the power of His name And His name will not fail. It can apprehend the hardest of hearts. It can arrest the attention of those who are farthest away from Him. It can change the idolater and the Buddhist and the Hindu and the Muslim and the atheist and the God-haters. And all we have to do is have enough confidence in Jesus that we're willing to talk about Him. It was a great, great day for me when I realized, finally, after years of being taught, you better be a soul winner. You need to go tell people about Jesus. If you're not out there witnessing and knocking on doors, you're not worth your salt. I heard that for years and years. It was a great day for me when I realized I don't have to win people to Christ. I just need to talk about Jesus. And the, the, the winning people to Christ that comes out of that, that pressure and that hype doesn't get the job done like it should be done, ladies and gentlemen. But I'll tell you what, we'll get the job done when your heart is so full of the passion of God that you care about those people and you're willing to talk about the Jesus who changed your life and he can change theirs. It's not a production. It's not a Broadway play. It's a real life changed and transformed by the power of his name. And all you need to do is tell people what happened. Are you with me still? Number three, here's what we see in Peter and John. Commitment to the mission. And this kind of ties together everything we've talked about today. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Instead of retreating and laying low for a while till the trouble blew over, Peter and John asked God to give them boldness. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy. Stephen became the first Christian martyr. The church was scattered because of persecution. The base of ministry and mission outreach was established at Antioch. And in Acts 13, the first missionaries were sent out. In Acts 14 and following, we find churches established all through the book of Acts. You know what we see in the rest of this book after Acts chapter 3? We see a picture of a people committed to telling the nations about His name. We see a picture of a people who were committed to God's mission. I don't know about you but I want my life to count. Do you? Amen. I want my life to make a difference in this world. I want to be involved in I want to be involved in what God's doing in this world. And God's on a mission to reveal his glory and extend his grace. Paul said, "Necessity is laid upon me; woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel." Here's my closing statement. Do I have your full attention right here? My closing statement. May God give us enough of His compassion. And may God give us enough confidence in Him. And may God give us enough commitment to His mission that He can trust us enough to put someone in front of us and trust us to be His voice and give them the gospel. That's the application of this whole story. May God give us enough compassion, enough confidence in Him, enough commitment to His mission that He can put somebody in front of us and trust us to tell them about Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Here's what I want to ask you to do in response to this message. Would you just ask God for those three C's? God, give me compassion, your compassion. I don't have to gin it up. I don't have to work at it. I don't have to strive to develop it. God, I want your compassion. I want your heart. God, give me confidence in who you are and what you can accomplish. And God, give me commitment to talk about you, commitment to what you're trying to do in this world. Help me not to be sidetracked and distracted with the things of this world and get so caught up in temporal pursuits, temporal endeavors, that I fail to realize why you put me here on this earth. And God, here's what I want to ask you to pray just a moment. God, would you put people in front of me who need you, and would you give me the compassion and the confidence and the commitment to, to, to open my mouth and speak for you? Just a very simple invitation tonight. Father, I pray that you'll put these things deep in our hearts. We make missions very complicated, but it's very simple. We just need to draw close to you and learn who you are and then talk about you everywhere we go. Would you help us to do that? I pray in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. and we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.